congrats, everybody. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. You guys glad to be in church today? Go ahead and be seated. I'm especially glad to be in this church. You guys realize you go to one of the greatest churches in the world, right? Yeah. And you got one of the greatest pastors and pastoral staffs. In fact, just you need to turn to somebody right now and just say, we go to a great church. <laughs> it is true. Wherever you are in this location and all the others, it's so, it's just an honor to be here. My wife, Leslie, and I, we have the same name, by the way. It's a little confusing, but that's just the way it is. Uh, but my wife, Leslie, and I, uh, we teach a class at a university in Seattle. We call Relationships 101, but it wasn't easy to, to just start a class. We, we felt like, you know, years ago, we teach college students on university campuses everything in the world, you know, if you think about it. You want to know about accounting, graphic design, nursing, whatever, we got classes on all that stuff. But look high and low, and you won't find many classes on relationships, you might find the sociology of marriage and the family or something like that, but a real practical course on relationships, and yet there's all this research on how to have a good relationship. We thought, why don't we start a course? We'll call it Relationships 101. Now, if you know anything about academic settings, you know you don't just dream up a class and start teaching it. You got to get it approved by the provost and dean and all that stuff. And so we put a little proposal together for a class and brought it to the uh, powers that be, and they sat around a big table and asked us a few questions and, and kind of looked over the proposal a little bit and finally looked up at us over their glasses and said, mm, thanks, but no thanks. And we said, why not? And we put all this kind of information in there, you know, that we wanted to lecture on so they knew exactly what we were going to do. We wanted to give a lecture, for example, on how to keep family ties from pulling strings. You ever thought about it? The home that you grew up in, was your university of relationships, for good or for ill. You learn more about relationships from that home than you'll learn from any place else, any seminar, any sermon, or any book, or anything else. And so we wanted to give a lecture on that to kind of raise the level of where. And imagine, imagine if you could go back to the home that you grew up in. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? And um, maybe you could go up to the attic, at least a figurative attic, if you didn't have one. And uh, you'd look around and find all this memorabilia from your childhood that would bring back a flood of memories, maybe a ball glove or a dollhouse or what have you, a scout's uniform. And, and, and then over in the corner, you'd discover this big dusty trunk that you've never seen before. And on the side of it, it has a placard with your name engraved, and underneath it, it says Relationship Curriculum. Can you imagine? And you'd open up the trunk and you'd find all these file folders of all these courses that you took as a kid growing up about relationships. Maybe you'd pull out a file folder and one of them would say, uh, feelings we don't talk about in this family, you know? Maybe you'd pull out another one and here's a course you took called uh, Advanced Blame Shifting and How to Do It. <laughs> we'll learn all kinds of lessons about relationships in the homes that we go. So we want to lecture on that. We also want to lecture on, uh, on falling in love. In fact, we want to give a lecture on how to fall in love without losing your mind. You know, it just seemed like even some of our brightest students at IQ would drop a few points as they're making decisions in this dizzying experience of falling in love. How do you improve your love IQ? And we thought we should probably do the reverse of that on breaking up because that's, you know, such a common thing for so many dating couples. And so we want to give a lecture on how to break up and stay in one piece. What do you do if you're the brokenhearted? You didn't choose this, but here you are. How do you pick up the pieces? What if you're the, the heartbreaker and you realize it's time, I got to move on out of this dating relationship, you know? And there's good ways and bad ways of doing that. And the research, tons of research on that. And so we want to give a lecture on that. 
Friendship. Can't give a class on relationship without friendship, you know? Can you imagine friends? I mean, life without friends? Think about that. Oh, my goodness. We wanted to talk about the difference between friends of the heart and friends of the road because there's certain friends that we have that we're tight with for a little season, and then life moves along, and we kind of lose track. Whatever happened to him? Whatever happened to her, you know? And that, that's a friend of the road. But then we have friends of the heart. It doesn't matter how long, you know, we, we can move across the country, around the world. It doesn't matter. We stay in touch. And when we get together, we pick up right where we left off. Those are friends of the heart. And how do we have more of those, you know? And we want to give a lecture on all. And what do you do when friends fail? We thought we should give that lecture as well. Now, if that hasn't happened to you yet, put your seatbelt on. Because it's coming. You're going to wake up. One of my personal philosophies of life is that we all have our own private Gethsemane. And we all have our own Judas. And you wake up some morning and you go, how could he have done that to me? I trusted him with my, with my money. I trusted her with my secrets. What do you do when a friend fails you? Uh, all the different realms of relationship, bridging the gender gap, sexuality, uh, ultimately relating to God without feeling phony, all these different realms of relationship. We put in this little proposal. We gave it to this group. They studied for a little while, and they, like I said, they said, hmm, no thanks. We said, why not? They said, well, first of all, it doesn't have any rigor. I said, what do you mean by that? They said, it doesn't have any academic rigor. I said, that's okay. We can, we can put some information in there that'll confuse the students if you like. And <laughs> they said, well, there's not a textbook for a class like this. I said, we'll write our own. They said, well, other universities don't have classes like that. I said, maybe they should. Maybe they will. They said, well, it's not going to work here. And, and they shut it down. So Leslie and I left, and, and we thought, well, let's not give up on this. Let's retool it and come back to this group in a few months and see if we can get them in a different mood. And, and uh, again, thanks, but no thanks. We went through this three times that academic year. And finally, on the third round, they just said, okay, here's the deal. We can tell you're super passionate about this class. Uh, we're going to let you teach the class uh, only under these conditions. And they started to list off all these things. They said, first of all, it'll need to be pass-fail. That means we don't want it to impact anybody's grade point average, you know. Um, number th two, it'll need to be taught as a general elective. That means it's taught in addition to your full-time teaching responsibilities. Number th three, it'll need to be on your own time schedule, which means if you can find a classroom that's available at some point during the day, uh, you can use that classroom and schedule it then. They said um, uh, it'll need to be taught uh, as an overload in addition to what you're doing. All these, oh, yeah, and they said uh, you'll need to teach it without compensation. And so uh, with that pat on the back, we set off to teach this class, <laughs> Relationships 101. And we put the course description in the course catalog and just hope some students might stumble upon it, sign up for this class that, you know, is not required for any reason. And, and we found a room about 6.30 at night on a Monday, not prime time on undergraduate campus, but it had 12 chairs in it, and we thought, uh, okay, maybe we can at least fill half these chairs and kind of get some momentum going here. And, and then we waited. We just waited to see if anybody would sign up. And it was about 10, maybe 10.30 in the morning on the first day of registration, which is a span of three days. The first morning, the registrar called my office and he said, hey, doc, he said, uh, we got to move your classroom, the relationships class. I said, oh, really? Like, you need the space for something else or what's going on? He said, no, no, no. He just, we discovered, we were looking in the records, we discovered that in the computer, you didn't cap the course. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you didn't limit the number of students that could take the class. I said, what does that have to do with anything? 
He said, well, in the last hour and a half, 350 students have signed up for this class. <laughs> he said, we still have three days of registration to go, and uh, there's already a growing uh, waiting list. He said, by default, the computer just automatically moved you into the auditorium and moved the class that was in there into your little classroom. And uh, I said, keep talking. Now, that was over 15 years ago that happened, and we've been teaching on relationships ever since, and still on Monday nights at 6.30, and we still don't get paid. So, um, But uh, we love it because these students file in there. They, they want to be there. They don't have to be there. This is a course they want to take, and it's always full to capacity with a waiting list. Sometimes students sneak in and sit in the, on the steps in the auditorium, and, and uh, we tell them on the very first night of the class, doesn't matter to us whether you take a single note the entire semester. There's no pop quiz, there's no midterm, there's no final. You're going to get out of this experience whatever it is you know, you'd like to get out of it. And so it's really up to you. And, and, um, but we tell them on the very first night, we also want you to write down at least one single sentence. And we tell them this sentence, it has the potential to revolutionize every relationship you ever build, whether it's with your roommate, your teammates, your potential soulmate, mom and dad, your siblings, doesn't matter, your friends. If you can allow the truth of this sentence to kind of seep down into your brain and be lived out through your spirit, it has that kind of transformative power. And they all get poised to write it down and have their keyboards or their pen in front of them. And, and then we finally give them the sentence, and I want to give it to you. Here it is. If you try to build intimacy with another person, before you have gotten whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. Let me say it again. If you try to build intimacy, if you try to build a connection, if you try to build a relationship with another person, before you have done the difficult work of getting healthy, of getting whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself, and they'll fall flat. Guaranteed. Why? Because nobody was designed to complete you. You can look all over the great state of Alabama. You're not going to find anybody that has that in their job description. You'll come up empty. Because ultimately, it's nobody else's responsibility. Sure, we can help each other on the path to wholeness. As iron sharpens iron, Proverbs says. But ultimately, it's our responsibility in relationship with our Heavenly Father and the help of the Holy Spirit to find this, this pathway to wholeness and health. Because, and this is so transformative, you see, and I know it's a difficult pill to swallow because most of us, you know, we grew up reading the fairy tales and books and novels and watching movies. And in fact, the most iconic movie it kind of spells this out in, in, in no uncertain terms that kind of somebody else can kind of make up for everything that we're lacking. Do you remember the, the old movie Jerry Maguire? You remember that? It's one of the most quoted movies in all of cinematic history. Everybody came out of the theater, you know, saying that one line, show me the money, right? But every romantic was quoting another line. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, you complete me, right? You had me at hello. Oh, right? <laughs> if you remember this, this film, 
you know, it was Tom Cruise, um, played Jerry Maguire, and he marries Renee Zellweger's character, and, and he's a sports agent, and, and they're having a tough go in their first year of married life, something that Leslie and I can identify with. The very first line of our book, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, says we never had pre-marriage counseling, but we spent the first year of our marriage in therapy, so we can identify. And he's out on the road, he's having some success in his career, and he realized it's not nearly as fulfilling without having things right on the home front, and so he cuts his trip short, and he comes back, and he gets out of the cab, and he's got his luggage, and he's got his overcoat on, he walks up the steps to the little, little uh, house that they live in, and, and uh, he, he sees that he's walked into the middle of a support group, because all these women are sitting around, and they're commiserating about how miserable men can be, and he's walked right in the midst of it. And he puts his luggage down, and he says, I'm looking for my wife. And then he kind of looks, at, and then he sees her there kind of behind the lamp. She puts her head out, and, and then he launches into this incredible speech. I mean, I'm guessing it took three writers a month and a half to craft this thing, right? Incredible speech. And he gets to the climax of this speech, and he says these words. He says that, you know, that sentence, you complete me, and he says it with such such, emo such pathos. And is there any guy in here that would like to stand up and just say it how Tom Cruise said it? And <laughs> I didn't think I'd get any takers on it. Any pastor? I really think a pastor would be great. <laughs> They're all pointing at each other, yeah. Um, all right, so let me give you my best shot at it. He, he, he's sitting around, and he's in the midst of this speech. All these women, they can't believe the words coming out of his mouth. And then he looks at her. And he says these words, I'm gonna do it right down the barrel. He looks at her and he says, you complete me. Thank you. <laughs> that's exactly how he said it, man. And I'm telling you, everybody, every romantic that's watching that film at that point, what do they do? Oh, oh I wish somebody would say that to me. Oh, man, I'd love to say that to somebody else. i got to tell you, I'm no psychologist or anything. But if, <laughs> oh, well, I am, I guess. But um, if you believe that somebody else can complete you, you're setting yourself up for serious heartache because nobody can do that. Just want to remind you that ultimately your compulsion for completion is not met in a relationship that goes this way. It's met in a relationship that goes this way. And uh, I, yeah, I know that's a, a reminder for some of us, but it's so important because it, we, it's just, it's one of those things that we keep thinking, this other person, surely they can help me do that and be kind of a, a shortcut. And in fact, can I get a, a couple to come up here? Are, are you guys a couple right there? Right there? The two of you? No. He's saying yes and you're saying no. <laughs> Either you are or you're not. No, not a couple? No. Oh. What are you thinking about, pal? <laughs> Maybe by the end of today, who knows? Uh, how about you two? Yeah, can you come up here? Are you a married couple? Yeah, come on up here real fast. Sorry, I didn't. Go ahead and just, just stand right there and face the audience. How long have you guys been married? 14 years, perfect. And look at those folks. And then stand like about a foot apart, okay? And then uh, just with your feet planted, just gently lean your shoulders in on each other like this, all right? And then gently put your heads together, all right? And when we see a couple that's doing this, what do we do? Aww, all right? Now you're making us sick, sit down, okay? <laughs> Give him a hand, would you? Thank you. I didn't, 
I didn't, uh, I didn't give any fair warning on that. Sorry, you'll probably never sit in the front row again. But uh, <laughs> I, I do that because I can take you to college campuses all over the place where I can show you students that literally walk around like that most of the day, right? I mean, you walk, they walk into the library like this, right? They walk into the dining hall like this. They're what we call A-frame relationships. A-frame relationships. And what happens in an A-frame relationship when you have two people that are kind of leaning in on each other and one of them figuratively stumbles? Yeah, yeah. The whole relationship gives way, right? Because there's no individuation. There's, it, it creates what we call in psychology an enmeshed relationship where they kind of fuse their identities and we kind of think, oh, isn't that romantic? Isn't that lovely? And, uh, but, but it's unhealthy because ultimately what happens in a relationship where you're leaning in on somebody that kind of becomes your shortcut to wholeness is that they let you down and then you start to pound down on them. And I, I, if you love me, this is what you do. I thought this is what this relationship was about. How come you can't, you're not picking up the weight? You know, and, and we get so frustrated with somebody when we bring that kind of expectation. It's too much. It's not their responsibility. It's not in their, their job description. Ultimately, your compulsion for completion is only met in a relationship with your Heavenly Father. If you try to build intimacy, if you try to build a connection with another person, before you've done this difficult work of getting whole, all your relationships, whether it's marriage, friendship, or anything else, become an attempt to complete yourself. By the way, two years ago, I was given this lecture, gave that sentence just like I described it. Two weeks later, a student comes up to me before class. I'm kind of, you know, getting my, my computer ready for class and stuff and, and uh, kind of distracted. And he comes up and he says, uh, hey, Dr. Parrott. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. And I'm still looking at my stuff. He goes, can, I, can you look at me? I said, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and Gave him my full attention. He goes, uh, that lecture you gave a couple weeks ago, and, and he gave that sentence, that was really meaningful to me. I said, oh, I appreciate that. And uh, kind of started to go back to my stuff. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I want you to know how meaningful it was. I said, okay, I, I really appreciate that. That's, that's nice. He said, can I show you something? I said, sure. He pulled up his shirt. He had this sentence tattooed on his rib cage <laughs> right here. I didn't say it, but I want to say, brother, we got a whole semester to go. <laughs> <laughs> I got other stuff better than that, you know? <laughs> but I'm not asking you to tattoo it, but uh, to maybe tattoo it on your brain as you think about it throughout the week. Getting healthy, getting whole. Why is this so important? I'll tell you why. Because your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. Let me say that again. Your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. My friend Neil Warren, who started... The company you've heard of, eHarmony, one night I, we were having dinner and, and uh, that company was taking off like a hockey stick, the curve on that thing. It was just incredible. And I said, hey, Neil, I said, if you could only give one word of advice to a couple about to be married, what would it be? And I thought he'd give it a whole lot of thought and kind of push his chair back from the table and think about it. He had it right on the tip of his tongue, just said it immediately. He said, get yourself healthy before you get yourself married. And that's what we're talking about, whether it's in marriage or any other relationship. And it all comes down to making a promise. I love this series that your pastor, Pastor Chris, is doing because, and, and I love the way last week he described, you know, what a promise is. It, it's sending, it's proactive, it's doing something in the future, it's sending a commitment out there into the future that will benefit people and you. And, and we make promises to, to God and to ourselves and, and to other people, and I want to talk about those today, three specific promises on um, how to get healthy. Like I said, and you might be wondering as I'm talking about this, how do I know? 
How do I know if I'm emotionally, psychologically, spiritually healthy? Well, in my opinion, you got to get a lock on at least three things. And these three things revolve around these three promises I want to note. And they're found in Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 in in just a few moments. But uh, the first one of these is what I call profound significance. If you want to be healthy, you've got to get a lock on how profoundly significant you are in the eyes of God. You've got to realize that God loves you as if you're the only person on the planet to love, as St. Augustine said. And you've got to not just know about it intellectually or kind of go through the motions of it, you know, and sing hymns like God's amazing grace, which is incredible, and, and quote scripture about it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. We can kind of get all that in our, in our minds, but it's quite another thing to feel it deep down in your bones and to know, to experience God's love. God's grace. And for some of us, it, it, it might feel like we kind of need to budge open that window that's just been painted shut a little bit too long and allow the fresh breeze of God's grace to come back into our lives. And some of you are going, yeah, 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 but you don't know my story. You're right. I don't. But I know, I know all of us struggle to some degree or another. And, and I will give you a challenge here. If you're struggling with this idea of profound significance and this idea of of, of really making a commitment, a promise to God. I want to know your love. If you're struggling with that, I challenge you to tune into the single most important conversation you'll ever have. You had it yesterday. You've had it already today. And you're going to have it tomorrow. And you're going to have... In fact, this conversation even happens while you're asleep because it's 24-7. It's your self-talk. What if before you fell asleep tonight, you could take a little computer chip out of the back of your head slide it into your laptop, and it would automatically tabulate your internal dialogue for the last 24 hours. What would that reveal? It would dump it into one of two categories, either positive self-talk or negative self-talk. Which bucket would be most full for you at the end of any given day? You might be surprised to know that on average, if you're like most people, 78% of your self-talk would fall into the negative bucket, but not the person who has a lock on profound significance. Not the person that knows deep down in their bones, deep in their soul, that God loves them. Because this is so interesting to me, I I don't know, I guess as a social scientist, you know, we do research and and we study things and we think, oh man, we've just discovered this incredible new thing. And and, uh, I I thought I was kind of discovering as I was working on a book, kind of these three steps to wholeness and health and, and, uh, you know, spiritual well-being and, and so forth. And literally, after the book came out, I was on an airplane, and I was reading this passage of Scripture, and I went, oh, apparently the Apostle Paul did the research before I did it. Okay. <laughs> it seems to happen that way a lot in my life. And, uh, but look at this. I want to read this, this uh, little passage here. There's three verses in a row that perfectly outline these three promises. And the first is a promise to God to embrace his profound significance for us. And... Um, It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, that you will experience or that you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Isn't that a great phrase? Extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out, Paul says, and experience the breath, test the length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, 
And then he says this, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. <laughs> it's like he's saying, don't miss out on your compulsion for completion. That's where the fullness, that's what it's all about, right? Second thing, if you want to get healthy emotionally, spiritually, relationally, I say you got to get a lock on not just uh, your profound significance from God, but you also need to get a lock on what I call unswerving authenticity. Unswerving authenticity. Now, the first one has to do with your relationship with God and the promise you make with God. This next one has to do with the promise that you make to yourself. And by the way, Pastor Chris is going to talk more about making promises to God and to yourself in the, in the weeks ahead. So you're going to learn a lot more about this. But let me just note here, this one, this idea of unswerving authenticity is all about being true to you. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come into my office struggling with that proverbial disease to please. Do you know what I mean? Some of you go, yeah. Yeah, I, got, I know what you mean. Because I, I walk around like that. See, if, if you're struggling with that disease, you walk around on the planet going, oh, maybe if I did this, so-and-so would kind of smile in my direction. Oh, maybe if I accomplished this goal over here, this, this group would give me some recognition. Oh, maybe if I, I chose to walk down this path, you know, I'd get the blessing from mom and dad. Or, or maybe if this happened, you know, and, and you just walk around, and, and instead of, of going, what's the pathway God's calling me to walk? You're, you're trying to figure out how to please everybody else with what they're telling you and what pathway they need you to walk down. And that's tough. That's tough to walk, to choose that path in spite of what anybody else is thinking, in spite of what anybody else is saying. But guess what? That's where you discover your purpose. And that's where you discover your passion. You've heard of this little book, maybe, The Purpose Driven Life? You know? Uh, without reading the book, in which most of us have read, the message is right there on the cover. Who doesn't want purpose in their life? That's what this is all about. Finding why on earth am I here? And choosing to walk down this path in spite of what anybody else says. Have you made that promise to yourself? Now, some of you, depends on your age and stage, you're still trying to think, what is that path? And, and that's okay. That's why we have this book. It's, it's the roadmap to find that path, to find what God is calling us to. And, and when you do, and I, I just love how the Apostle Paul puts this. Look in, in the next passage here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I want you to get out there and walk. And then I love this. He says, I want you to get out there and walk. He says, wait, wait, wait. Better yet, run. Run. Run on the path that God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. You're not walking that path that goes nowhere, are you? You want to get a lock on your unswerving authenticity. You'll begin to discover your pathway towards health and wholeness. Now, the third thing. The third thing has to do with the promise you make not just to God and to yourself, but to everybody else around you. And this is what I call self-giving love. Self-giving love. And this is when life gets pretty exciting because now you begin to transcend your own boundaries. Now you begin to recognize other people's needs instead of just being consumed with your own. And in this situation, how many of you, um, like mom and dad, have teenagers at home? Okay, lots of you. We do too, Leslie and I. Uh, Mom and Dad, what's the number one goal that every adolescent on the planet has? Just to answer a question, a question they never articulate, the question is, who am I? 
Right? Developmentally, that's where they need to be as adolescents. And so when you're consumed with who I am, you're checking yourself out in the mirror a lot, and, you're think, and you go into a social setting, and what are you thinking? Hey, how are these other people doing? Is that what you're thinking? No, you're thinking, how am I doing? How's my hair? Right? What about my shoes? Are these in style? Are my pants low enough? I don't know. I've got to find out all this stuff. <laughs> it's all about identity. It's almost as if... They're wearing a, mirrored, a set of mirrored sunglasses, but they take the lenses out, flip them around, put them back on, and all they see is a reflection of their own needs wherever they go. And mom and dad, that's okay. Don't give a guilt trip for that. That's where they need to be. That's part of carving out your identity. And eventually, we get to a stage where we begin to mature, and we take those lenses out, and we, and, and we begin to recognize other people's needs, and then we walk into a social setting, and we no longer are consumed with the question, how am I doing, but how are you doing? And we really mean it. And then we can put into practice, you know, things like empathy. If you were at the, the marriage conference, we, we talked a little bit about empathy, that capacity to put ourselves in each other's shoes, to see the world from each other's perspective. Few things are more transformative in your relationships than the practice of empathy. You know, it's, it's, I wish we could bottle it, by the way. I told the group that I wish we could put a spray bottle together and just have some empathy in here. Can you imagine walking out and going home and having Sunday brunch or... You know, lunch on a Monday morning with somebody or breakfast and just going, I think you need a little empathy, right? <laughs> I do too. We all do. And it's difficult to do this until you've kind of got a lock on how profoundly significant you are in the eyes of God, because that's the platform, that's the base, that's the foundation. And then you begin to travel on the path that God has called you to, and then you get to this place where you begin to recognize other people's needs and Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine what life must be like to be lived in their skin. And life is lived at a whole new level when you begin to do that. Because this is when you begin to put into practice one of the greatest relationship lessons that has ever been taught. One of the greatest relationship sermons that has ever been preached. It's a sermon that Jesus gave. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And, and um, this last year when I was traveling in Israel for the first time and I got to stand in the place where they thought... That Jesus did this, and it was just like so much to take in. Imagine being there, and he's giving this message, and he gets to the part where he gives this radical part of the message where he talks about not just walking the first mile with somebody, but walking a, another mile. This, this was kind of driven home for me um, a, a while back when I had a whole bunch of airline miles, and they were about to expire, and I said to my wife, Leslie, I said, hey, we got to use these, or they're going to go to waste, and and she said, well, that's the last thing I want to do right now is get on an airplane with the kids. She said, why don't you call your dad? Take, go, go somewhere with your dad. And I called my dad. He's in Phoenix. I said, Dad, I said, how would you like to take a trip? I'm, I've never been to Rome, Italy. I know you have been. Maybe you can show me around. And uh, he said, son, sounds great. He said, let's do it. I said, great. I got like five days on the calendar that I can carve out to do this. And if it works for you, we'll do it. He says, yep, let's make it work. And I said, and here's the other deal, Dad. I said, if, if you're game, I said, I will pick up all the airfare if you want to cover all the other expenses for the trip. <laughs> it was a great trip. And uh, it really was. And we did all kinds of stuff that you would want to do in Rome. But one night we were having dinner, and Dad reminded me of something that I remember studying as a seminary student back in the days of the Roman Empire. Every kid, every little Roman kid was required by Roman law to carry a Roman soldier's backpack one mile in either direction 
from his home to kind of give the soldier some rest, you know. It was just a, a law that was passed that way. And so it was not uncommon for every little kid to, to have a, a little spike that he would go out and measure that Roman mile, put it in the ground, and then carve his initials on it so he knew exactly how far he'd have to go to do that. Well, it was such a common practice all over the place that uh, Jesus used it as a sermon illustration in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you want to do something radical in your relationships? You want to do something radical as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as a colleague? Just try this. Don't just walk that first mile that everybody expects you to walk. That's the mile we walk to clear our conscience. He goes, walk a whole other mile that nobody sees coming. See what happens in your life when you begin to do that. Self-giving love. When you begin to give yourself away, when you begin to transcend your own boundaries and recognize other people's needs that are unique to you, life is lived at a whole new level. It's incredible. Look at, look at this next verse. It's uh, right after that last one we just read in, in, in chapter 4. And, and Paul says, pour yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. It's all about walking the extra mile. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, man, I don't know, the extra mile, that's going to be a lot of, that's like a big deal. I mean, I got to Google that. I got I to go home and check my bank account to see if I can do that. For, no, no, no. Friend, you're going to have the extra mile to walk. You're going to have the opportunity to walk the extra mile before this day is done, multiple times. Because we walk it in big ways, in little ways. Sure, the extravagant ways of walking the extra mile, fantastic. But don't give up on the little ways. Tuesday Tuesdays, I've been taking out the trash in my, married, uh, in my married life on Tuesdays for as long as I can remember. Now, I'm walking the first mile every time I take out the trash, okay? I'm walking the extra mile every time I take out the trash, and I don't say anything about it. <laughs> you follow me? We walk it in big ways and little ways. As you go about your week, and you think about this idea of making a promise to God, God, I promise I'm going to seek this profound significance. I want to see me like you see me. I want to feel it deep down in my bones. And as you make this promise to yourself that, God, I, I, I want to discover the path that, that's best for me, that you're in spite of what anybody else is thinking. And, God, I want to make this promise that uh, when I'm around other people, <laughs> that I'll do my best to see the world from their perspective, not just my own. Profound significance, unswerving authenticity, self-giving love. When you try to build intimacy with another person before you've done the hard work of getting whole, getting healthy on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself and they'll fall flat. You don't need to get it too tattooed on your ribcage. Just get it tattooed on your mind as you think about it this week. What an honor to be with you guys. Man, this has been so fun, and I just, I just love this church. I've been coming to this church for a long time. If, if I only lived here, we'd be going here, but I live in Seattle where all the heathen people live, and so <laughs> we don't have a church like this. You guys go to a great church. Don't take it for granted. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in a place like this with people that uh, seek your face and people that desire to enjoy the kind of relationships that you want us to. And thank you for the, the map, the, the gift of your word, the Holy Bible to do that, and the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us put all of it into practice. And, and we just pray, especially today, that you would help us 
receive your love, receive your grace all anew, that we would follow your calling and that we would love the way your son Jesus loves. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Just a moment as we close out today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to I want to talk to those of you this morning who are in that place where you haven't quite figured out that, that first promise that Dr. Les shared with us. You don't have a lock on profound significance. You haven't experienced that, that love that God has for you. You haven't yet really come to grip, grips with the idea that God is personally interested in you. He loves you. He wants to have relationship with you. So I just want to speak to anybody in the room today who would say, hey, Michael, I, I hear it, but I haven't experienced it yet. I haven't experienced that love from God, and I'm not in relationship with Him, and he doesn't really have control of my life. But today I know that needs to change. And, I, and I'd like to surrender my life to him and begin to experience that profound significance in my life. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If it, you'd say, hey, Michael, you, you're talking to me, and I, I need to have a moment this morning where I surrender to Jesus and receive his love and forgiveness and begin a relationship with him. Nobody looking around. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know if you're here. If I'm describing you this morning and you're ready to respond to that, to have a relationship with Jesus, would you just, just wave your hand at me? Just You can put it up and right back down real quick. Just want to know you're in the room. Just say, hey, yeah, that's me. I see it. Anybody else? Up and right back down. I see it. Good job. Anyone else? so much for doing that. I know that's a huge step. Maybe even uncomfortable to do in a room like this full of people. But I want you to, um, just right where you're at, if you raised your hand just now, I just want you to pray. I want you to talk to Jesus. And just tell him. Now, I'm going to give you some words, and you can just kind of make it your own right where they're at. Just say, Dear Jesus, today, I understand that my life is significant to you. You care about me. You want to have relationship with me. So much so that you paid an incredible price. So today I ask you to forgive me of my sin and my mistakes of doing life my own way. From this day on, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to serve you. I don't need to be in control of my own life anymore. I want you in control. And thank you, God, that you see me as significant. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you would. And I just want to pray over each and every person in the room today. Maybe you're in a place where you're trying to figure out those other promises. 
profound significance and that authenticity, that promise with yourself. Maybe today's the day that God's going to break through and help you achieve a new level of maturity and begin to see the world and not just for what you need, but for what others need and how others feel. Heavenly Father, you know where we're at. You know each and every story represented in this room. You know which parts of this message today apply to our lives. God, you know how it applies to our marriages, our relationships. So Holy Spirit, we, we ask you to break through and help us to grow and change. Through you, God, we can become whole. We can have wholeness so that our relationships aren't where we go to get completed. We are, we're completed in you. We find wholeness in you. And in that, God, our relationships can work and they can be healthy. So help us. Help us figure it out. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen. Wasn't this good? Wasn't that a good word? Yeah. He ain't here, but let's give a little honor to Dr. Les. He may never know, but... And I always like to give honor to, and they'll probably never watch this video. They'll probably never see our live stream, our archive. But thank you, uh, Dr. Les. Thank you, Pastor Chris and Church of the Highlands for the way you resource churches, and you're making all of us better. The kingdom is growing because of you. And uh, What an honor for us to be in a network of churches who share so freely with each other. And there's really no competition. We're just all about the kingdom. Can I hear an amen this morning? And I uh, love that. Love that we get to be a part of that. I want to thank you for being at church today. You made a good choice to be in God's house. Why don't we all stand to our feet before we go? And I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you before you go. I do want to remind you that at every chair is a connection card. And uh, that is kind of the first line of communication. If you need to get in touch with somebody here, or if you have a prayer need in your life, if you need to talk with someone, maybe you prayed one of those prayers today. We'd love for you to let us know, especially if you made a decision to follow Jesus, enter into a relationship with him. We'd like to resource you. If you're a guest, we'd love to send you a letter that just says thanks for coming. Fill out those connections cards. You can drop them in one of the black kiosks in our lobby. There's a little place for you to drop in offering envelopes or connection cards, or you can always hand it off at our info desk, and we're just thrilled that you're here. I didn't get a chance to do it earlier, but can you help me welcome True Life, anybody who's here for the first time? We're just so glad you spent the morning with us. And, uh, and next week we'll get back to live preaching here on the stage, but I really felt like God wanted us to use this message today. So I hope it helped you. I hope it challenged your heart. Let me pray a prayer blessing over you. God, go with us as we leave. Have your hand on each and every life. God, I pray your blessing over each and every person. God, this week as we go into our week, that, that this wouldn't just be information that we took in on a weekend, but we would apply it to our lives and we would use it for your kingdom, your glory, for healthy marriages, healthier families, healthier friendships. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to sing one last time. Come on, let's give Jesus the very best praise we can this morning. Come on, give me your best. God bless y'all. We'll see you next weekend.